Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Narratives of Grace podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Caleb Barrett, and we want to welcome you today. Today's episode is a message from Pastor Dennis on February 23rd, 2020, on Our Way of Life, Part 1, To Live in Holiness. Amen. Thank you, Naomi. Uh, Thank you, Pastor Caleb, for leading us in worship this morning. Well, good morning. I know it's cold. That was probably tough to get out. But it's great to be with you this morning. I want to pray as we jump into our message for this morning. But it is great to be with you. It's great to be here, even if the weather is a bit cooler for me. This is fantastic. Next year, this will be annoying. But I do enjoy the beautiful weather. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for allowing us to be in your house this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to be among your people this morning. Father, we have a a place that we can come to. We can lift up our voices. We can sing your praises. We can honor you with our studies and our conversations. Lord, help us to do all of those things this morning. Uh, Father, we, we just, we thank you that we are able to do what we do freely because of your grace and because of your goodness. Of course, we, as we do each week, Hopefully we do each day. We remember our brothers and sisters around the world that can't freely do what we are doing here. Father, they are boldly doing what we are doing. Uh, So, Father, help them, strengthen them, sustain them, provide for them. Um, But, Lord, for each and every one of us who are here this morning, I pray the same, that you would glorify yourself in the way that you provide for your children. Father, that we would uh, readily speak of your goodness, that we would share your grace uh, with others. Father, as we come to this passage and we seek out ways to live in holiness, Father, as we seek out ways to honor you, as we learn what this new way of life that Peter is calling us to is all about, Father, I pray that you would, that you would just help us. Father, keep us focused, keep our minds on the things that please you most. Uh, Father, help us to find unity and peace among one another that we would continue to move forward and do what you have called us to do. So Lord, of course, as I pray this, I pray that these words that are spoken over the next few moments together, that they would be your words, that you would be glorified, that you would be honored, and that you would be pleased. Father, that our hearts would be in tune with your heart, that we would recognize the areas that we need to grow and that we would honor you with the way that we live our lives for it's in Jesus name that we pray. Amen. Well, we've made it to the second real section. Um, technically, it's the third section of the first chapter, um, but it's the second section with some real meat to it. And so we are going to be starting off in verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 1. I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me. Again, that's 1 Peter chapter 1. I promise we will eventually get out of chapter 1. We're we're trending in the right direction. Uh, But as we continue to move through, I do want to just share a little bit. Beginning on February 2nd, we've been going through uh, the, the first of Peter's epistles. Uh, we've discussed much, and all of it so far has led us to this point 
uh, this passage that we will be studying this morning. And now before we get to that passage, I do want to briefly refresh your memory as to what it is that we have been discussing. Now I do this for those that may not have been here for each of these messages but I also do this uh, to catch folks up to speed as quickly as possible, but also for those that have been here, uh, I do believe, and I'm sure you've noticed by now, I believe that repetition equals retention, and so I uh, want to repeat a few things and, and continue on. So far in chapter one, as we've been discussing, we've discovered the following things. First, among others. Uh, first, the letter was written to those who are suffering for their faith. Now, in many ways, they may have been suffering a lot like those of us who try to live out our faith boldly in public. Uh, now, what I mean by that is they were met with scoffs. They were met with ridicule and skepticism. Now, eventually, they suffered far greater than you and I have suffered in this, in this world or in this place. Um, and Lord willing, more than we probably ever will suffer. Um, but the truth is, they were, they were a people that were afflicted. They were suffering. They were dealing with hardships. And Paul was writing to them and eventually to us to encourage all of God's followers to keep moving. Secondly, we've dealt with the reality that God truly knows intimately our sufferings because Peter tells us that God placed us where we are specifically sufferings and all for his purposes Now, what is God's purpose we've been talking about that and God's purpose is that he would bring glory to himself so why do we go through things because he's going to use those things to make us like Christ making us like Christ brings him glory therefore whatever struggles we face God allows them into our life because that is his method for growing us now one of the struggles that we have is we don't like pain right uh, I can't remember the famous person who said it, but the, the comment is, I don't like pain, it hurts me. And uh, I think we can all agree with that, amen? Uh, I, per, I don't know about you, uh, I don't like pain. I would try to avoid it. Um, but there is a purpose in the pain. Um, A.W. Tozer once said that I'm not convinced that God can use a man greatly until he hurts him deeply. Uh, we all need to be humbled. We need to recognize that our God is big. And sometimes it requires a big problem to recognize that there's a big God. And so we've dealt with that reality. We learned that God has been guarding a great inheritance as well as he has been guarding us. And more correctly, he's been guarding our souls. Uh, some of you might say, well, I'm suffering and I don't feel like I'm really being protected. Your soul is safe. Um, there is nothing that is going to separate you, your soul, from his love. There is nothing that can ever stop his love. There is nothing that can ever hinder his love. There's nothing that can ever negatively or positively affect his love for you. And by that I mean there is nothing in this life that will cause him to love you less. There is also nothing in this life that will cause, you, cause him to love you more than he does right now. He loves you with an infinite God-sized love, and he is guarding you because there is coming a day when he is going to give you all that he has promised you. And it's that day that we are waiting longingly. We're, we're hoping for that day. That is the day that we have placed, you know, they, they, I've always heard it said, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Put all your eggs in God's basket because it's the only basket that's never going to turn over. 
So we've learned that God has been guarding that inheritance. We've also learned that God has been testing, or more accurately, he's been refining us as gold, though we are more precious to him than gold that perishes. The, the trials and the struggles of this life are meant to burn away anything that doesn't belong mixed in with the beautiful work that he is completing in our life. And then finally, last week, <clears throat> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, last week we saw that the prophets themselves have prophesied about the grace that would be given in Christ. And while, <clears throat> while that grace was preached to others, it is something that angels long to understand. Now, regarding the prophets and the way that they saw, I explained that you see different mountain peaks and uh, the I could not figure out how to get the pictures to work last week. They're working this week. I don't speak French, so I can't tell you what mountains those are. But you can see the yellow arrows point to the different mountain peaks. And so imagine if you're a prophet and each one of those peaks is a different point in history that God has given you knowledge about. Okay, you know that they're coming and they look relatively close to each other. But look how far apart they actually are. Uh, when you see the distance between those points... It helps us to realize if we, if we understand the way that the prophets saw things, uh, what they're being told is point after point after point. What they're not able to see is the valley and the distance between each point. And so you can see that they don't see the timing that it takes to get from one point to the next point. And so there's a bunch of other mountains. It's a beautiful place. I, I've only seen it on the internet, um, but I encourage you to look up some beautiful pictures and recognize our God made that. Um, now Google took a picture of it, but God made it. And so I encourage you to just think our God is truly a great God, and he has given us ways to understand who he is and recognizing that he is so much bigger than we could ever truly understand this side of heaven. Uh, we may not fully understand, of him, or understand him because of our limited minds, but maybe we can truly know who he is and know his goodness. And so with that being said, I do want to get into the passage for this morning. <clears throat> because today we are going to see that Peter was, set, was setting things up to explain that their suffering was not meant to make them passive. Instead, they are to be active and ready uh, they are to ready themselves as if for war, uh, for a mission, uh, and that mission was to live in holiness. So today we're going to begin a three-part um, mini-series, so to speak, on this section, verses 13 through the end of the chapter. Uh, the first section is, where I've entitled it, Live in Holiness, and we're going to see this morning what exactly that means. Um, and so... What I want to say before we jump into this text is that these four verses, verses 13 through 16, that we're going to study today are really part of a much larger thought that runs all the way from 13 through 25. Ultimately, it wraps up his original idea, which he alluded to in verse 2, that we have a new identity since we are now, having been saved, exiles. Okay, if you remember in verse one and, and verses 1 and 2, where he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of, uh, excuse me, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with blood, with his blood, may 
grace and peace be multiplied to you. And so what he's alluding to here is we were chosen for a purpose. We were chosen to be like him. But in order to be like him, that means we cannot be who we once were. And so this idea that he alluded to in the, the beginning of the chapter, he's now coming back to and he's giving us what, what exactly this new life is all about. And uh, when I think of this, uh, I think of the fact that we are chosen foreigners in this world. Uh, you've heard it said, this is not your home, you're only passing through. Uh, earth is not our final resting place. Um, we will be with him in glory for those that know him and are called according to his purpose, those that love him and have called upon him for salvation. We will be with him one day. Earth is not where we will stay. There's coming a day when he will create all things new. Um, That includes this earth and even heaven itself. Um, But it reminds me, this idea of us not being who we once were, and it reminds me of Abraham. If you remember the Old Testament story of Abram, uh, who later became Abraham, uh, if you think of his new identity, in chapter 12 of Genesis, God told him that I will make you a great nation. So he already was established. He was already living and already had accumulated uh, a name for himself and and things to his name. Uh, And God said, I'm going to create in you a new nation. I'm going to create in you a great nation. In chapter 15, he said, your your offspring will be foreigners in their land. Your offspring, they won't be recognized anymore. In chapter 17, he says, you'll be a father of many nations. Uh, Again, you'll be a father of many nations. I'm going to create a new nation from you. I'm going to give your offspring an opportunity where they won't be recognized in this world anymore. I'm going to give you a sign that will set you apart from the rest of the world. I'm going to give you a new language. I'm going to give you a new nationality. I'm going to give you a new ethnicity. I'm going to change every aspect of your life because I have chosen you for a special purpose. I have set you apart. Nothing about you is going to be the same any longer. Eventually, he even changed his name from Abram to Abraham. Now, there's a reason that he would suddenly become a foreigner in his own land. In an instant, Abraham was changed And when we call upon the Lord for salvation, nothing about us remains the same. Every part of who we are has changed. For us to continue to cling to the old self uh, is is futile. Uh, For us to continue to cling to dead tissue, uh, so to speak, uh, would not be healthy. Um, Anybody in the medical field will tell you if you have dead tissue, it has to be removed. If it remains, it will, it will cause problems without going into detail. I know we're a ways away from lunch, but we don't want to get into that this morning. Uh, but we have to remove that old, dying, decayed tissue. Why? Because it's not helpful. It's not going to promote growth. It's not going to be a healthy thing. How much more spiritually is that true of us? God has created a new person, a new work in our lives and we need to move forward in that new work. Now, Peter gives us our first real grouping of commands. If you remember in the very first uh, introductory sermon to this, to this letter, uh, I, I explained that there's roughly one command for every three verses in this book. Um, and as you read through, we have not seen really 
too many commands yet. And starting with this passage that we're seeing today, we recognize our first real grouping of commands. And you've heard me say throughout this letter that, that uh, people, folks often teach that this letter is the Christian's marching orders. And well, as of today, we're finally starting to see that we have some places to go. So let's look at this passage together. The words are on the screen. Uh, if you do not have a copy of the Word of God with you today, you can look on the screen. And if you do, I, I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. Uh, but again, starting in verse 13, I'm reading out of the ESV this morning. Peter says, therefore, I feel like we can stop and preach a sermon on that. But therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." Now, the passage continues. We'll pick up verse 17 starting next week uh, in the evening service of next week. Uh, but as you look through this passage, you begin to notice there are several different commands. But these commands are preceded by an interesting word, the word therefore. Now, you've heard me, if you've heard me preach through a passage that says the word therefore, I think it's impossible for me to Note that without saying the cheesy, if it's there, you see the word therefore, you have to figure out what it's there for. And so why is he saying therefore? Well, because of everything he said up to this point, we have a purpose. Based on everything he's told us so far, everything he has explained to us thus far has a purpose. What is that purpose? What has he been building up to? Well, he's been building up to this point where he's going to teach us what it means to live this new life. Uh, we've been talking about how he's given us a new identity. Um, and I don't know where you are in your marriage. I don't know where you are at your job. I don't know where you are in interpersonal relationships. I don't know your personal struggles. I don't know uh, for everyone. I don't know the things that, that uh, hurt you, the things that aff afflict you. But what I do know is that we live in a fallen world and we can all expect there to be trouble. We can all expect for there to be uh, difficulty. Uh, that doesn't mean that we should enjoy the difficulty, um, but we should uh, not be surprised if the world hates us. We should not be surprised if living in a fallen world means we have to deal with darkness. Um, we should recognize that he has given us a new identity. How do we begin to live in this new identity? Based on everything we've been told up to this point, now here we have some commands. And the first is to be preparing our minds for action. Now, um, when I think of this phrase, preparing your minds for action, uh, it's the, the same idea uh, that's being used. And some of your translations will actually say, girding up the loins of your mind. Um, and this, this is uh, an, interesting, an interesting phrase uh, because he's referring to your mind. Now, girding up your loins uh, is an interesting phrase that we don't use today. Uh, but the original hearers, the original audience, would have understood what he meant. It means to tuck in the low-hanging garments because we're about to move. Uh, if there's anything that can trip you up, tuck that into your belt 
and get ready to fight. Um, there's a fight coming, and you need to be ready to move. Now, the original audience would have understood that. Anybody that grew up in the 90s would understand this if we would have said, pump up your kicks, it's, time. it's about to get real. Okay? Um, if you remember the basketball shoes that you could pump, uh, I don't know that it ever affected anything, but I felt like I could jump higher. And so, um, you know, pump up those shoes, it's time to get going. Today, we might just say, you know, if, if we hear someone say, prepare your minds for action, you might think, it's about to go down. Um, it's about to get real. Um, when I think of this phrase, my, my favorite movie of all time, um, and this kind of outs me as a bit of a nerd, my favorite movie of all time is the movie Gettysburg. Uh, I don't know if you've ever spent five hours of your life watching a, sing a single movie, but uh, Gettysburg is a fantastic movie. I'm not taking any feedback on that, but... Um, I love that movie. I think it, it shares a lot about the battle that we can learn from. Uh, it's based off of a book called The Killer Angels, which is technically a fiction, um, but it's mostly only a fiction because of the dialogue. Um, but the, the historical events are, are um, very, very accurate. In that movie, and which is depicted in the movie and in real life, on... Uh, at the, at the Battle of Gettysburg, there's a small hill called Little Round Top. And for those of you that know history, you know that that was a very important small mound of dirt in southern Pennsylvania. And the 20th Maine uh, Regiment was standing at the top of that hill. They were the extreme left end of the, the Union line. If they fell, then the Confederate Army would be able to move over that, and in theory, um, they would be able to sweep behind the line and uh, basically devastate the Union Army. Um, now, I'm not picking sides on what happened. I'm just telling that uh, the, the, uh, the, the North won, and um, what happened was they were out of ammunition. They were standing at the top, and they didn't have enough to repel the oncoming advances from those from Texas and Virginia that were moving up the, up the hill. Now, in the movie, um, not to bore you, but in the movie, the, uh, the colonel, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain, uh, commanded his men to fix bayonets. Uh, now, for all of the folks that are in the military, if you're standing at the high ground, and you're being told march or charge down the high ground, um, I don't know about you, but that doesn't always seem like the best tactic to give up the high ground. But instead, what they were doing is they were going to do um, a specific maneuver uh, that one of the sergeants actually remembered uh, and voiced his concern. That's not in the movie, but he, he explained, you know, there's a maneuver we can do, and we can sweep the hill. And basically, we charge down as they're coming up, and we basically round them up. And that's what they did, and it worked. Now imagine standing there at the top of this hill watching as another army is advancing toward you, and you're standing there. You know you don't have enough ammunition to withstand another barrage or another attack. You know that you're low on supplies, you're tired, it's extremely hot, uh, and you're a bit disoriented from all the smoke and all the noise, and your commanding officer uh, gives out the order, fix bayonets. And now it's time, you know what that means. You know it's about to get intense. You have to fix bayonets and you have to charge down this hill. 
And as you begin moving down this hill, imagine if you're in their shoes, as these men are running up the hill, you're running down the hill. And um, if you've ever seen the movie, you know it's a dramatic scene as they sweep the hill, they end up um, repelling the final advance and they, um, they hold the high ground. Now, when I think of this passage where it says to prepare your minds for action, that we are preparing our minds for action, that we are girding up the loins of our mind. What that means to me is that we need to get ready. He's about to give us some commands that we have to move and we cannot allow anything to trip us up. We cannot allow anything to distract us. Uh, so how exactly does one person prepare their minds in this sense? Well, in a, in a word, discipline. Uh, how do we prepare our minds for action? Through discipline, through training. Uh, we know what's expected of us. Um, the best way to make sure that a maneuver goes smoothly is to practice, is to continue to explain. You need to have good communication. You need to explain what's happening. You need to explain what's happening before it happens. Um, it would be chaotic if somebody decided, I'm going to come up with a never-before-seen tactic right in the middle of a battle and there's no time to explain anything and we're just going to go with it and see how it goes. Uh, typically those kind of things uh, don't always turn out well but he's telling us before, before he shares what action we're about to receive he says prepare your minds, discipline yourselves, cut away the distractions, anything that might stop you or trip you up from doing what he's about to command you to do uh, needs to be sent away. We need to turn away from the distractions in our mind. Uh, next, we see that we need to be sober-minded. Now, that's the same Greek word that Paul uses in 2 Timothy 4, 5 when he says, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now, Paul is sharing that with a pastor, Timothy, uh, but I believe that that applies to our own lives because each and every one of us are called to share the gospel. Each and every one of us is shared to move forward, to continue going into this world. We cannot do it with a distracted mind. We cannot, with all that, uh, all that is set before us, with the, the multitude of the lost and dying in our communities, um, in our, in our uh, region, in our, in our world, we cannot allow ourselves to become distracted and to stop focusing on what's important. Uh, it's also the same Greek word that's used in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, where Paul, again, says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Um, so this idea of being sober-minded means that our minds should be controlled with the Spirit. We should be focused on the uh, finish line. We should be uh, with a razor-sharp focus, ready to move forward, uh, sure-footed, ready to step forward, knowing what He has called us to do. Now, as we've already discovered in this letter, what has He called us to? To be foreigners in this world. So how can we move forward as foreigners? Well, you know that you're not going to be accepted. You know that this world is probably not going to be your cheer section as if you were in a sporting event. Uh, why? Because they don't understand you anymore. Just as with Abraham, he was given a new life, a new, a new name, a new, uh, a new everything. We too have been created new. 
God has, when he rescued us, when he saved us, he said that old person is gone. Put away the old man. It's time to take on the new man and move forward. How do we do that? With focus, with discipline, with determination. We need to keep moving forward. How do we move forward? Well, we move forward as obedient children. Um, Now, I think that this is an interesting passage here, or an interesting word, because as we were set apart, we were set apart for obedience. Remember, um, going back to verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Why were we set apart? We were set apart to obey. Uh, If you remember, we talked about these sufferings that we have, these struggles that we have. We need to recognize them as opportunities for obedience, opportunities to bring glory to God. Um, Even in the midst of intense pain, intense suffering, we need to be seeking out ways to still bring glory and honor to Him. Now, I realize standing up here, that's awfully easy to say. Uh, It's very easy for me or anyone to say, make sure you glorify God in the midst of your pain if I'm not actively suffering. Um, But each and every one of us needs to recognize what's easily said is difficult to do, but it must be done. Um, And you say, well, it's, it's too hard. I don't know that I can do it on my own. You weren't meant to do it on your own. In fact, you can't do it on your own. As obedient children, notice he says children, Uh, There's very little that children are able to do on their own. Most of us understand that. Uh, Most of us with young children uh, have, like, I think the day that we realize that they can actually get the cup out of the counter on their own and fill with water on their own is, like, an amazing day. I think for dads, they're excited, like, yeah, he's being a man. He's getting his own stuff. He's taking care of himself. And I think for moms, they're like, my baby's growing up. And so uh, I think we have a difference of opinion on that. But uh, children need help, right? I think that's a pretty simple conclusion. Uh, We need to recognize that God has called us to obey. We can't do it on our own. We need help. Uh, We need to keep moving forward. This isn't highlighted on the screen, but notice the next thing he says when he says these obedient children, uh, that we are, to, we are to be as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That's a tough saying. Uh, now, this word passions here does not only mean sexual passions. That same word is used 39 different times and it's translated into words such as desire, earnestly, lust, passions, and covetousness, covetousness, uh, to name just a few. So this word here that's being used, it's not talking about one specific passion, one specific desire, or even one type of desire. What it's talking about is all of the things that you used to do before you were saved, we need to put those things away because now we have a new master, we have a new focus. If you understand, uh, the, and I, I know that you do, is you understand theology and recognize that before we know Christ, we are enemies of God. As enemies of God, we want nothing to do with God or else we would be terrible enemies, right? We want nothing to do with him. Um, because in our deadened state, our spiritually dead state, we are not able to, to, uh, to think of the things of God on our own. Right? We need God to step in. 
we need to recognize that before we came to Christ, we were slaves to sin. Now we are slaves, doulos is the word that Paul uses most often, uh, bond servants to Jesus. Uh, we have a new master, but our master is not a hard master. Uh, he's not a difficult master. In fact, he tells us to give our burdens to him. He tells us that the work that's hard for us, we need to turn it over and allow him through his spirit to work through us. What an incredible master. Um, my first job, I was working at a farm in uh, Pennsylvania, and I was 14 years old, and uh, his name is Mr. Walker, and he came to me at church one day, and he said, listen, I've got a job, and that was it, and uh, so I said, okay, and that was how I got hired, and so um, my dad got me up, and he explained some things about what it means to work hard and to take care of things, uh, and he said, you know, working on a farm is going to be real hard work. It's going to be tough. It's going to make you tough, but you're not there to play around. You're not there to hang out. You're there to do a job. And uh, it was before I was adopted. So uh, that next part, he said, you know, you don't have my last name yet, but I consider you my son. And I was like, oh. And so, uh, and so he's like, you know, you're my son. I encourage you to do right because if you don't, and then there was a warning that I won't repeat. And so, um, so I went to work, and I worked hard. Uh, my first day of work, there were four of us. My, my second day of work, there were two of us. And my third day of work, it was just me for the rest of the summer. And I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but I worked hard, and everybody else got fired. And um, while it was difficult, I realized Mr. Walker was an amazing boss. Some of the reasons why he was an amazing boss, it was hard. Uh, any of you that have ever placed hay on a farm, I don't care where you've done it, it's tough work. Um, the bales are heavy. And um, back then, or I say back then, it's not like it was that long ago. Um, but in my day, uh, we had a, a baler that would kick the bales into the wagon. And I, I think some of you are like, oh, that would have been nice. Um, but the baler kicked the bale into the wagon, and you had to make sure that, first off, you didn't get killed by this flying bale of hay uh, coming into you. And then you have to pick it up and stack it quickly because the next one's coming right behind it. And so it was hard work, and it was difficult. But Mr. Walker picked me up every morning. Um, he would come to my house, and he'd pick me up for work, and then he'd drive me to his house, and we'd work for a few hours. And then we'd stop, and he'd let me eat lunch, and he'd feed me lunch. And then he'd take a break because he needed to go watch the news, and so I would get to go swimming in his pool. And then after I got done swimming, I would change my clothes and go back to work for a few hours, and then he would feed me dinner, and then he would take me home. And then he paid me. So I thought... <laughs> My dad always said, you know, this is a good first job. I'm like, I want this to be my only job. <laughs> um, and, you know, that didn't work out. <laughs> um, and so when I think of that, I recognize that God has set us apart for a task. He is not a difficult master. Right? He calls us to turn things over to him. Now, what does he expect from us? Obedience. He expects obedience. Um, complete, unadulterated unmitigated, absolute obedience. Uh, when I talk to children, uh, when I teach children, I always tell them, you know, your job as a child is really easy. All you have to do is obey your parents and stay alive. And that might confuse them. But, um, but obey your parents is super easy. And they're like, well, how do I do that? Well, that's where it gets difficult. But in a general sense, just obey. Your job is just to obey. What is our job for Jesus? What, do we, what are we doing for him? Just obey. Why? Because he is holy. He who called you 
is holy. And notice this word is used several times here. Uh, he who called you is holy. You also need to be holy in, your, in all your conduct. Not just some of your conduct, not just a little bit. You need to be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now, holiness is the only attribute of God to be given in the superlative, uh, which means the highest, the greatest. Uh, it means to be set apart or consecrated. In a moral sense, it means pure, blameless, and upright. We were commanded not just to obey him, but we were commanded by God to be holy as he is holy. Now, I know what we're all thinking here. Holiness, complete blamelessness, being pure, being upright. That's a, that's a tall order. This world is tough. I enjoy life. And there's a lot of parts of life that may not line up perfectly with what God wants. And we may think that in our heads. And I encourage you, if that's your thought, think that again. Say it to yourself, not now, but out loud. And hear your words. There are parts of this life that don't line up with what God wants. Now, we would never say that out loud because we're, we're good Christians, right? We want to do what God wants us to do. Uh, but the reality is we are regularly being entertained by the very things that God hates. Uh, we are regularly attaching ourselves to the very thing that Jesus came to this earth to die to set us free from. Uh, we need to let go. We need to let go of who we once were. Why? Because he has given us a new life. Uh, and this life is to be lived in holiness. We are to be set apart for a purpose. We are to be set apart to make a difference uh, in his kingdom, to be building his kingdom, to be sharing his gospel. So as we look at this passage, we recognize there are several commands um, that pop up. We're to prepare our minds. We're to be sober-minded. We're to be obedient. We are to be holy. Uh, we are to do many things for him. Now, I encourage you to remember that none of these things can be done in order to save you, but all of these things should be done because you are saved. Let me say it a, a little bit differently. Uh, we do not do good works in order to get saved. We do good works to show that we are saved. The good works are our evidence that he has set us free. Uh, what are we set free to? We are set free from the burdens and the bondage of sin for a specific purpose. And that purpose is to bring holiness uh, to the forefront, to shine light so that others stumbling through the darkness will recognize that there is a God, that he does have a plan and a purpose for our lives, and his will for your life is that you live this new life in obedience, in holiness, in grace, wisely, so that others will see your good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. We have been given a new life, and it's time that we live that new life. That means as we struggle through things like we don't have enough volunteers for certain events, or we, maybe we don't have enough volunteers for certain classes, or maybe a new ministry or, or an old ministry is struggling without volunteers to help. Uh, you and I, if we're drawing breath at this moment, then we are viable candidates to start helping. Um, and so... That's all of us, okay? Uh, whether it's in, in our immediate context, uh, just to make things real about Mililani, if that means serving on a committee, pray about that. If that means teaching a class, pray about that. If that means helping out in the nursery, and it does mean helping out in the nursery for some, um, pray about it. See what God would have you to do. Why? 
because there is too much at stake for us to just remain spectators. Preparing your minds for action does not mean get ready and go sit down. It means get ready because it's about to get real. Father, help us to honor you. Help us to serve you. Help us, Father, to bring glory and honor to your name. God, we struggle, and you know that. You created us. We, we have difficulties. We have things that distract us. We have things that, that hurt us. We have things that lead us to, to wonder if we can handle any more. We have moments where we don't know that we can take another step forward, but there you are, and you are good. You sent us, Jesus, to set us free. Father, help us to remember that we are free. Help us to not just put the chains back on, as Paul warns us against. Help us to sober our minds, to clear, clear away all the clutter and all the distractions. Help us to figure out our priorities. Help us to recognize that you have given us, as believers, you have given us gifts. You have given us abilities. You have given us a purpose. Help us to search those out and seek out ways to serve you better. Help us to be more involved. Help us to be active. Father, we all believe that Jesus is your son. We all believe that Jesus is our savior. We all believe that he is the reason why we're here this morning. If it weren't for his death, burial, and resurrection, all of this would be pointless, but he did die on our behalf. He did raise from the dead, and he is serving and sitting at your right hand. Father, help us to lean into his understanding. Help us to learn from his example. Help us to serve you better. Help us to live this new life, and help us to live it well, Father, for it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that this was a blessing to you. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, please email us at pastor at mbaptist.org. We'd love to get to those and respond to those either in a future episode or directly. Uh, and if you have any prayer requests, please email us at prayer at mbaptist.org because we want to be praying with you over everything big and small, whether you're a member of our church or a member of the broader Christian body. We want to be praying with you and for you. For more information on our church, please visit us at mbaptist.org or finding us on Facebook or our YouTube page. Just search for Mililani Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today.